Father, we come to you in that precious, in that matchless name of Jesus. The name above every other name. And Father, I speak peace. Your peace into every heart. Help us to be still in your presence, O oh God, that we might hear your voice. Beyond the voice of man, the voice of the very Spirit of God, speaking to each one. Help us to sit at your feet. Help us to cast all our burdens, our anxieties, our worries at your feet because you care for us. Help us to know there is only one answer under the heavens and it is Jesus. Help us to know that in Christ Jesus we already have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Help us to know that we don't need anything more than Jesus. That he is sufficient. More than sufficient. Speak to us, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, first, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 13. And verse 5. Second Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. We've been asked by God to examine to test ourselves. We are not asked to examine somebody else and uh, test others, but we've been asked to examine ourselves and to test ourselves whether we are in the faith, whether we are, our faith is genuine. You know, scripture says we are saved by grace through faith. Grace is of God. We never have to doubt God. God is always faithful. He's always faithful. He never changes. We can trust Him 100%. But we receive grace through faith. Therefore, faith has to be tested. Is my faith genuine? That's why we know in real life on earth, everything is tested. Cars are tested before they are released into the markets. Railroads are tested before passenger trains are allowed. Everything is tested. Therefore, the most valuable thing we have is our faith. It's more precious than gold. If our faith is not real, if my faith is not real, if it is an untested faith, it is not real, then my salvation is not real. There's nothing wrong with God's salvation. There's absolutely nothing wrong with grace. What needs to be tested is not grace. What needs to be tested is my faith. Is my faith genuine? 
Therefore, God tests our faith. That's why Hebrews 11, 6, 6 says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Without faith. We sang so many beautiful songs today. But if you look at that, all those songs were about how much we love God and how much God loves us. Okay. Scripture doesn't say it is impossible to love God without faith. No, it doesn't say. It says it is impossible to please God without faith. And all of us who are parents, we know. We love our children. And our children love us too. But our children often do not please us. Loving God and pleasing God are not the same. Are not the same. All of us love God. It's more in the terms of emotion. But scripture talks about pleasing God. Do we really please God? And scripture says it is impossible to please God without faith. The first statement the father makes about his own son when he comes out of the waters of baptism is, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus pleased his father with the first 30 years of his life. Not a single act of ministry, but his life as we try to talk, secular life, he pleased his father. So scripture is very clear, it is impossible to please God without faith. When we look at faith, when I teach about faith, I say faith is like a coin which has two sides. It has two sides. One side is invisible, not so much visible, it is more invisible. Then there is a side of faith which is very visible. The invisible side of faith is called trust. I have to trust God. Therefore, scripture, that same scripture says in Hebrews eleven six, anybody who comes to God must believe that he is. You have to trust God. That is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You have to trust him. Like, as an example, if somebody were to come to me and say, Pastor, you know what? I like you so much. I love your messages. And he keeps on giving me the nine yards. And at the end of it, he says, but I don't trust you. Then everything that he or she said doesn't make much meaning. Okay. So the invisible side of faith is we trust God. How much do we trust God? I trust God. You trust God. As a church, we trust God. Then there is a visible side of faith, which is called works, which means works of obedience. That's what James says, faith without works is dead. My trust you cannot see. My works and your works is visible. Are my works because I trust God? Are my works connected with the fact that I have put my trust in God and in his word? Am I obedient to the word of God or am I like a child who says, Daddy, I love you, but never listens to anything Daddy says. And the love is expressed only when he or she gets something from Daddy. I love you so much. Thank you for the chocolate. I love you so much. Thank you for the ice cream. I love you so much if you're a teenager. Thank you for the iPad. 
Or do I please my heavenly father by my obedience? Now, if you look at Jesus, a strange portion, because I believe in two Fridays from now, you will be, we'll be having what we, the world calls Good Friday. And Resurrection Sunday, I don't know how, what you will do on Resurrection Sunday. Do you have a holiday? I do not know. Okay, very soon we will be here celebrating the passion. Christ, his death, his resurrection. But there is something that Hebrews chapter 5 talks about Jesus. In chapter 5 of Hebrews, in verse 7, scripture says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Now, this is how Jesus prayed. This is how Jesus... You have snippets of Jesus' life hidden through scripture. If you just read the Gospels alone, you don't see how he prayed. Except in the Garden of Gethsemane here and there he says he went apart and he prayed. But if you really want to see how Jesus prayed, it is shown in different other places. It shows in Hebrews. In the days of Jesus' life on earth when he was in the flesh, he prayed with cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Even more stranger verse which says, although he was a son, he was a son, the very son of God, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So Jesus had to learn obedience. The very son of God who came in the flesh had to learn obedience. And he learned obedience through what he suffered. Not only that, another verse, even more stranger. And once made perfect. He had to be made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He became the source of salvation for all those who obey him. He was obedient and he becomes a source of salvation for all those who obey him. There's an interesting part over there. That is verse 7. I pondered over this verse for years. During the days of Jesus' life when he was on earth, he offered a prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. There is a prayer or a series of prayers in his life and there is an answer. Scripture says God heard his prayer. Today when we hear testimonies, it is about a prayer and God answered a prayer. Then it becomes a testimony. Otherwise there is no testimony. I prayed, God didn't answer. Nobody comes and testifies. I prayed, God answered. It is a testimony. Here it says Jesus prayed with Christ that could not be uttered and he was heard. Because of his reverent submission. But what was his prayer? His prayer scripture was to save him from death. Let me ask you, was he saved from death? Because two weeks from now, the whole world is celebrating his death. But scripture says, he was heard. Is scripture contradicting itself? He prayed to this father, Lord, save me from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So what death is it talking about? There are two deaths. One is the death we will all partake of because of the sin of Adam. Adam sinned and the wages of sin is death. Now, Jesus' prayer to his father is to save him from that death. Lord, 
I need you every moment of my day that I remain obedient to you and never sin and be a partaker of the death of Adam. Because if I sin and I die that death, there is no salvation for us. He did not die because he sinned. He died for sin. That is why scripture says in Hebrews 4.15, he was tempted in all points. Every point he was tempted. Yet he was without sin. So when he dies, he's not dying because he sinned. He died for sin, our sin. So he was heard because of his reverent submission. And he had to be made perfect at every level of his age. He had to be perfect in his obedience that he would never sin. And now scripture says, because he was perfect in what? In his obedience. He becomes the source of salvation to all those who obey him. We preach a salvation often without obedience. Now let me ask you the question. Are we saved by Jesus' death? Or are we saved by his obedience? If he had just died without obeying his father even once in his life, we would not be saved. We are saved because of his obedience. And the portion that sister read from Philippians says he took the form of a man. Even though he was equal to God, he took the form of a man. And the appearance of man took the form of a servant, emptied himself of all reputation of glory. And scripture says he was humble. That's an interesting verse in verse 8 of Philippians 2. It says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to what? Obedient to death. That too, even death on a cross. How great was his obedience? How perfect was his obedience? He was obedient unto death. He humbled himself. Now this is, this is interesting corollary to this. How do I know I am humble? Because everybody, especially for a Christian, would love to prefer to think that I am humble. Jesus said, learn of me, I am meek and lowly. The other words, the sister used his, or one of the brothers used his, his contrite. He who dwells in eternity also dwells within whom who is broken and who is contrite, who is humble. But how do I know I am humble? How do you know Jesus was humble? This go together. If you are humble, you are obedient. Humility and obedience go together. You cannot say, I cannot say, Lord, I am humble, but I am disobedient to the word of God. Humility and obedience go together. The more humble one is, the more obedient one is to the word of God. That is what faithfulness means. Faithfulness to the will of God. Faithfulness to the word of God. So scripture will say in the old covenant, the most humble person, the most meek person who ever walked on earth was Moses. And Hebrews 3 will say, Moses was the most faithful in the house of God as a servant. Yet scripture says in the new covenant, Jesus was faithful as a son. The sister who said about servant and son. Moses was faithful as a servant. But God demands a faithfulness from us which is more than that of a servant. 
that is of a son or of a daughter. Obedience that is of a son or of a daughter. That's what scripture is talking about. Because often when we test our faith, ask, is there trust in my faith? Is there obedience in my faith? Is there obedience in my faith? If you learn from the book of Hebrews, if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, this is a statement scripture says Jesus makes in chapter 10 and verse 5. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, he said, this is what Jesus says when he comes into the world, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. When we talk about what we did for God, we talk about our offerings. We talk about our sacrifice. But God doesn't look at our sacrifice or our offerings first. He looks at our obedience. He looks at our obedience. When Jesus comes into the world, when Jesus comes into the world, the statement he makes is, sacrifice and offerings you did not decide. It's not that God is not interested in offerings or sacrifice. He is. But that is secondary. Primary is, he says, I have come to do your will. A body you have prepared for me, behold, in the volume of this book, in the volume of this book, it is written, I have come to do your will. That's what Jesus' statement, Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, in the volume of this book is written, the will of God, and I have come to do your will, O Father. And obe uh, obe uh, obedience will automatically lead to sacrifice and offerings. But sacrifice doesn't necessarily mean there is obedience in my life or your life. In your life. Don't misunderstand me and please never be offended when you hear the preaching of the word of God. Some of you have driven from long distances to be in the church of God. There was great sacrifice. You sacrificed your time. You woke up. You took your transport, whichever mode of transport, and you came over here. There was sacrifice. But we also know if you have been regularly gathering here, that service begins at 10.30. And we begin, we gather here simply because of one promise. Where he said, gave us this promise. If two or three gather in my name, I will send a preacher. No, he didn't say that. If two or three gather in my name, I will send a worship team. He didn't say that. He says, if two or three gather in my name, I will be in your midst. That's the reason we gather. So if we as a congregation have decided we meet at 10.30, can be absolutely sure Jesus is here. And with great sacrifice you have come, but maybe not with great obedience. Okay? Great obedience. And maybe you who came at 11 o'clock, maybe the one who will be also putting the maximum offering when you go. But you were put in a great offering, but there wasn't much obedience. Okay, That's what God is talking about. A faith that leads to obedience. The first question God asks outside the garden, the, his three questions he asks 
inside the garden and one outside, many outside the garden. The first question he asked is to Cain, he says, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do right, won't you also be accepted? What was the reason? Two brothers are coming with offerings. In one brother's offering, there is obedience. Because without the blood, you cannot approach God. So he comes through the blood. There is obedience in his offering. In the other brother's offering, there is great sacrifice. He's the tiller of the field, which has already been cursed. So he's broken his back in breaking the ground and harvesting, planting and watering and harvesting and watching over his crops. And at the end of the season, with great sacrifice, he plucks his fruits and he comes and gives it to God. There's great sacrifice, wonderful offering, no obedience. And God says, your sacrifice is not acceptable because there is no obedience in it. And he says, why are you angry? Why are you upset? If you do what is right, won't you also be accepted? Won't you also be accepted? That's the question. Never measure your faith according to your sacrifice. Never measure your faith according to your offerings. Always measure your faith according to your obedience. In the volume of this book is written the will of God for you and for me in this volume of this book, not just for Jesus. Because if you and I are hidden in Jesus, then the will of the Father is hidden in this book. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 is the will of the Father. And he, when he came, made a statement we saw from Hebrews 10. He says, a body you have prepared for me. You have given me a body. And in this body, when I live on earth for 33 and a half years, every moment of my life, O oh Lord, I want to do your will. I have not come to do my will. I have come to do your will and your will I want to do. And when he left, after having finished the will of God in his life, and when he rises and when he goes, he's left behind his body. We are the body of Christ. And if we are the body of Christ, he says, a body you have prepared for me to do his will. A body he has prepared, everyone, the temple of the living God, is a body being prepared by the Spirit of God to do the will of God. That's why when they asked him, teach us to pray, he said, this is how we need to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, thank you for all your gifts. No, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is heaven. For me, when I pray that prayer, earth begins with me. It doesn't begin with others. Earth begins with me. Your will be done here in my life as it is in heaven. So we ask this question. And we measure our faith. We examine our faith by looking at our obedience. In the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, only one command was given. One command. Don't eat from this tree. Rest you can do. And when they were disobedient to one commandment, when Jesus comes, God comes into the garden, he asked them this question. Did you eat of that tree which I told you not to eat? Did you disobey me? See, every sin is basically an act of disobedience. And every temptation of the devil is to see that we disobey God. 
Every temptation, the purpose behind every temptation from the devil is to see that we disobey God. But God can take that temptation and make it a trial, a test for us so that we prove the devil, I will obey him, not my will, but your will be done. So this morning as we examine our faith, there are dangerous sides to this. We will look at it as time permits. Okay. This is fundamental. Jesus says in John chapter 14, this is what he says and verse 21. I'll read it for you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he will be the one who loves me. He says, whoever has my commands. You know, when I started my walk with God, I did not have the commands of God. Because to have the commands of God, I need to search the word of God where his commands are written. First, I find the commands of God. Usually when we read the Bible, we are looking for a promise to claim. We are not looking for a command to obey. Well, every promise is connected with a command to obey. He who has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Deuteronomy 28, when everybody quotes about the blessings of God, he says, he who hears my voice and obeys my commands, these are the blessings that will follow. In John 15 and verse 10, Jesus again will say, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I obeyed my father's commands and remained in his love. He says, how do I stay in the love of God? How do I really experience the love of God? How do I abide in the love of God? One first, having the commands of God and keeping the commands of God. I experience and abide in the love of God. And Jesus said, I always abided in the love of my father. In one place, if I'm right in John 17, he will say, my father has never left me. Never left me. Why? Because I always do what he tells me to do. Now, if you really want to walk in the presence of God and experience the presence, the real manifest presence of God, God says, just do my will. You will always experience my presence. That's what Jesus said. My father has never left me because I always do what he tells me to do. That's his first statement he makes. Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired. Behold, in the volume of the book, it is written about me. I have come, O God, to do your will. I've come, O oh God, to do your will. This morning, what did we come for? What's the primary purpose we came for? Lord, speak to me that I might go out and obey it. I want to obey, O oh Lord, your will. I want to abide in your love. I want to experience your love, not something in my head, but something somebody has spoken, something as a tangible experience in my life. I want to know it, I want to live in it, and I want to abide in it. Therefore, Lord, speak to me something more that I can obey. Because whatever you have told so far, I have kept it, and I am keeping it. I am crying out to you, O Lord, help me to keep it, because I want to abide in your love. 
And Isaiah God will say, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. For the new covenant, it is the very life of Christ. If we are willing and we are obedient, God says, you will eat the best of the land. You will experience the very life of Christ, which is righteousness, peace and joy. That's the kingdom of God. That's what God is dealing with us. Jesus was perfected, scripture says, by what he suffered. In obedience, there is suffering. In disobedience, there is not immediate suffering. Later, it will come. In obedience, ask a child, like Shweta's little one is sitting over here. Let the mother ask her, go have ice cream. That's also a command. The child will happily go and take ice cream and say, Mommy, I obeyed you. To his obedience. Shweta tells her, Daddy and I are going out. Sit down and do your homework till we come and watch your brother. Now the second commandment, if you obey, there is suffering in it. Because the TV is making eyes at you. All your gadgets are calling you. Okay, calling you. So Jesus suffered in his obedience. Okay. The first man of God, when I came to ministry, told me one thing. He said, your obedience, James, will be tested when God tells you to do things which you don't like. That's when your obedience is tested. And scripture says, Jesus was obedient to the point of death. And not just point of death, but death on a cross. The invention of the Romans. There were many kinds of death. But God said, my son, you will not die an ordinary death, any ordinary execution. I'm picking for you. I am choosing for you this death that is the death on the cross. In the garden of Gethsemane, he cries out and tells the father, father, all things are possible with you. I know father, all things are possible with you. There is nothing impossible with you. All things are possible with you. If you will, Lord, will you take this cup away? I know what's waiting for me tomorrow. I know what I have to go through tomorrow. But all things are possible with you. If you will, will you take it away? And I believe the father told him, son, it is written. You will be pierced. For their iniquities. You will be chastised. For their peace. This is what is written. In the volume of my book. It is written about you. How you will die. And I am not going to take the cup away. And he says. Not my will. But your will be done. Not another form of death. But obedient to the point of death. And death on a cross. And when the psalmist writes about Jesus being pierced or being crucified, that form of death was not even invented. But God already knew. It's the invention of the Romans, crucifixion. You could be executed, your death is fast. Head is cut off, you die in seconds. You could be hung, your neck, your bone here breaks, nerves are gone, you die fast. Not crucifixion. Not crucifixion. Crucifixion, you don't die easily. You don't die Fast. You take hours to die. Not only that, not only are your hands crucified, your feet are crucified because every breath you have to pull yourself up and every breath is painful. And God says, son, that's the death I have chosen for you. And the son said, it's well with my soul, father. 
I will be obedient unto death and death on a cross. We are saved by his obedience. And he saves us through our obedience to the gospel. Obedience to the gospel. There is no gospel in the Bible that is preached which doesn't talk about obedience. From the first doctrinal test, text, letter Romans 1, 5, and obedience that comes from faith all the way to Revelation chapter 22, verse 14, where scripture says, those who obey my commandments will have access always to the tree of life. It is all about obedience. If scripture says in the book of Romans chapter 5, if one man's disobedience brought death, how much more one man's obedience will bring life. So if the natural assumption should be, if Adam's disobedience brings rebellion in me, then if I am born of the spirit of Christ, then because of that birth, I should be naturally be inclined towards obedience and not disobedience. In the Adamic nature, I am inclined towards disobedience. In the Christly nature, I am inclined towards obedience because I am born of Christ. That is the struggle we face, the two natures fighting. But which nature will win? And the other words, brother used, for this purpose the Son of Man came that he might destroy the works of the devil. And the greatest work of the devil in humanity is the spirit of rebellion, disobedience to God. God says, no, look at my son. Learn of him. He's meek and he's lowly. The meek will obey. The meek will obey. The lowly will obey. The humble will obey. At the age of 40, Moses was called by God. Yes, he was called by God, but he was neither meek nor was he lowly. He was not humble and he wouldn't obey. And he tried to bring the deliverance of Israel with the power of the sword. So God put him in the wilderness for 40 years to humble him. Put him in his father-in-law's house for 40 years to humble him. Where everything he had, he had to ask of his father-in-law. He was humbled and humbled and humbled. At the end of 40 years, he became the meekest man on earth. And the tool God used was a man called Jethro and a wife called Zipporah to humble him. And at the age of 80, when God comes and says, you are the man I have picked, he said, no, I am not. I cannot speak. I cannot do anything. I am good for nothing. God said, yeah, you are right now. Now we can work together. Because you are meek as I am meek. God is meek and he can only work with those who are meek. God is humble, therefore he can only speak to those who are humble. Humble. That's how it works. Many of us caught in our situations will say, Lord, when will this finish? God says, when you humble yourself, it will be over. I'm humbling you through this situation so that we can work together. Because the humble are obedient. By the time Moses is humble by God, that stick is enough. And he will go and do what God told him. He trusts and he obeys. An 80-year-old man with an 83-year-old brother goes with a stick and stands before the Pharaoh, trusting and obeying God and tells the Pharaoh, let my people go. Why? Trust and obey. Trust and obey. That's what God is talking about. How obedient are we? 
How are they growing in our obedience? You know, it's interesting why the first king of Israel was disqualified. Paul talks about being disqualified in this journey. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, God will call the man chosen by man and anointed by God as king of Israel. And he speaks through the prophet Samuel and he tells this. God tells in verse 3, go attack the Amalekites. Totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Now, when you read this Old Testament portion, start, don't start getting all upset, okay? Now, he's talking to Israel, but we understand the spiritual meaning from the letter of the law, of the letter of the Old Testament. We understand how, what does it mean to me? Now, you won't understand it unless you know who Amalek is. Amalek is the grandson of Esau. Esau is the man who sold his birthright for a potful of stew. Esau is the man of flesh who will give up the things of God to indulge in the flesh for the sins of the flesh. He is Esau. He is the Amalekite. So when God says, go destroy the Amalekites, he's saying, you have to deal with your flesh every day. Put to death the works of the flesh. Big Small, little. Don't consider this is too small and this is too big. This I like, this I don't like, this I will deal with, this I will leave it alone. God says, no, kill everything in your flesh. All of them will stop you from following me till the end. You have to deal with your flesh every day. So whether it is a nursing child or a teenager or an old Amalekite, deal with it. But you know what scripture says? Saul went, he fought, he had a great victory. But scripture says, but Saul and the army spared Agak, that's the king of the Amalekites, the best of the sheep, the cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, and everything that was good, these they were unwilling to destroy completely. Whatever looked good in their eyes in the Amalekite camp, they kept. The rest they destroyed. And that's how we also offer. When God says, destroy all these things of the flesh, we look and say, but I like that. I like that. I love that program. All the other programs which I don't like, I won't watch from today. But I like that one. Okay, I feel convicted. All these dresses I'm going to throw out. But this one I paid a lot of money. That I will keep for another day. Okay, I will quit alcohol. But I just have to chew tobacco once in a while. We pick and choose what to obey. God says, kill all. Saul said, no, I will not. I will spare the best. We are very selective in our obedience. We are not complete in our obedience. When it came to the Son of God, he was absolutely perfect in his obedience. Perfect in his obedience. And we've been burst in Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit so that God can bring us where at every level of our journey we can look and say, Lord, have I done your will? Are you pleased with me? Is my obedience pleasing in your sight? Is my works according to faith? Because we have been saved not by works, but we are saved unto good works, which are the works of faith. And the next verse, scripture says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I made Saul king. Here he has defeated the Amalekites. There's a complete victory. But he has kept the king and he kept the best of the sheep and the oxen. And any one of us who would look will say, wow, what a great victory, King Saul. God says, no, I am grieved 
that I made this man king because he's not obedient fully to my commands. What I have said. He's not obedient. He's partial in his obedience. Partial obedience in the kingdom of God is disobedience. And then when Samuel comes to King Saul, twice King Saul says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And Samuel asks him the question, if you have obeyed the voice of the Lord, what is the sound of bleating that I am hearing? He said, you obeyed me? But I hear sheep crying. Oh, that uh, I spared. Often when we also stand before God and say, Lord, I have obeyed you. God says, yes, but I can hear some bleating around. What about that? Oh, that, I didn't realize you were so interested in that. God says, I'm interested in everything in your life. I am interested in your obedience. And there is something that Samuel will speak to King Saul, which we see again and again in scripture and in the portion we read from Hebrews, where God says through Samuel to Saul and to us, does the Lord, in verse 22, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. God says, I'm not interested in a sacrifice where there is no obedience. I'm not interested in an offering where there is no obedience. I'm looking for obedience. To obey the voice of the Lord is better than sacrifice. And then the next verse, rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. You need to understand that. It's a very, very powerful verse. He says, if a child of God walks deliberately in disobedience to the known command of God, he comes under the power of darkness. The power of witchcraft comes. I tell my church, don't come to me and say your neighbor did jadu and this thing, therefore you are going through nothing. They have no power over us if you are under the blood. You come under the power of witchcraft because you have walked knowingly in disobedience to the revealed will of God. God has said when you do that, you give power to the power of darkness over your life. God says, I have put a hedge around you, but anyone who breaks the hedge, the snake will bite you. Will bite us. That's God's order. Stay within. You are safe. If you disobey God, says the powers of darkness, because I am righteous. I don't bend my word for anybody. In Psalm 138 verse 2, God says, I've exalted my word above all my name. That is the cry of Jesus every day of his life. Father, 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 with loud cries, his cry, Father, save me from disobeying you. Save me from sin. Otherwise, I'll be a partaker of the sin and the death of Adam. Save me, Lord, save me. Is that our cry in our prayer closet? When we go into a prayer closet to cry and to pray, if we pray and cry our tears, is it about that? Or is it about things concerning the world? When will we come to the point where our cry from our heart is, Lord, save me from myself, Lord, that I do not disobey you. Save me, O Lord, that I do not sin against you. Because I do not want those powers to have power over me. I want you to have power over me. For rebellion, disobedience, rebellion is the power of witchcraft. And the next word says, and 
stubbornness is the evil of idolatry. Stubbornness. That's the danger. When, when I sin, God shows to me and says, you have sinned, put it right. And I say, I'm not going to do it. God says, now on top of witchcraft, what has come? Stubbornness has come and it becomes idolatry. God asks Cain, why are you angry? If you do right, won't you also be accepted? God is saying, otherwise he says, sin is waiting to take control over you. God was warning him. What does he do? He should have listened to God, gone to his brother and says, brother, give me a lamb too and help me to dress it. And he could have just gone with that and God would have accepted him. Simply obey the voice of God. He didn't do that. Instead, he goes out, he speaks to his brother, takes him to the field and he kills him. Why? Because he was unwilling to obey the voice of God and walks in rebellion. The power of darkness comes over him and Jesus talks about the devil. He says he was a murderer from the beginning. Who's a murderer from the beginning? The devil is a murderer from the beginning. When the power of the devil comes over Cain, he too becomes a murderer of his brother. The power of witchcraft. No, we don't kill now with knives. We sweetly kill with words. Our brothers. Okay, so don't ever think I don't have a knife or a gun. I don't kill. God says, you do. You do. You do. You very sweetly do it. And God says, beware. Beware. And then God asks him this question. God is still trying to restore him. Ask him, where is your brother? Where is your brother? God knows where his brother is. He knows his body is there. His blood is crying out. God is asking this question to him, hoping he can deliver him from the power of darkness. Cain will stand up and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I killed my brother. What does he reply? What does he say? Am I my brothers? He adds stubbornness to rebellion. Stubbornness to rebellion. And the power of idolatry comes. What is idolatry? It's the worship of self. It's a worship of self. And God says, you will be a wanderer all your life. And all these years, I've seen people in church who are wanderers. They wander from church to church, church to church, because they are not willing to deal with two things in their life, the spirit of rebellion and the spirit of stubbornness. God says, yes, you will be in church, but you will always wander. Why? Because you are not willing to obey my voice. You're not willing to obey my voice. Don't take these things lightly. Because it is written in the new covenant. If you have your Bibles with you, I pray you mark it in your Bible in the new covenant spoken through the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. God judges us so that he can restore us. Please don't misunderstand. God doesn't judge his family to destroy them. He judges them to restore them. Judgment begins in the house of God. And then it says, if it begins with us, with us, what is the outcome for those who do not, do not obey the gospel of God? So the gospel has to be obeyed. And then look at verse 18. If it, the righteous are scarcely saved, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will be the end of the ungodly? Even in the kingdom of God, even the righteous 
are very scarcely saved. There is a beginning of salvation. There is an end of salvation. And Hebrews 7.25 says he is able to save to the uttermost all those who come to him. We are saved from the penalty of sin. We are not yet saved from the power of sin. But if you are willing, God says, I can save you from the power of sin. And one day we will be free completely from the penalty and the power of sin. When this body is no longer. But as long as we live in this body, we need to have victory over the power of sin. That is being saved to the uttermost. That is what God is talking about. That is how he was saved. He was saved because of his reverent submission. When you and I read the book, don't read it as a book of promises alone. Look into this word and to see, oh Lord, how can I obey you more? Because I want to experience you more. Because in Acts 5.32, scripture says, the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey him. The more I obey, the more of the Spirit I receive. The more of the Spirit you and I receive, the more we are able to obey Him. So therefore about Jesus it is written in Genesis, John 3.34. He was filled without measure. Why was He filled without measure? Because He was obedient without measure. It works. The more you obey, the more you receive. The more you receive, the more you are able to obey. Is that why we want the Holy Spirit? That's why we desire for the Holy Spirit. There is gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are signs and wonders of all of the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't save anybody. That doesn't save anybody. Because Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God. But he or she who does the will of God. Will of God. Do we know the will of God? People in the churches, like in the past three months, I have preached over to people, pastors, elders, to over, of over a thousand churches. And people in churches don't even know the books of the Bible. Then how do we know the will of God? How do we know the will of God? Are we constantly searching the will of God that we might obey Him? So that he can fill us more with the spirit of God. So that we can have that those blessed assurance with Paul has by the end of his life. He says, I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. I have obeyed the will of God in my life. Is that what we choose, long for after we come to know God? Is God using us? Or are we using God? Are we still milk? Babies, as the writer of Hebrews says, I cannot feed you meat. I still have to give you milk because you are not able to digest it. Are we going to live on a diet of milk all our life of the word of God? Or can God just take us? Yes, the children sang a song. Deeper, 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 deeper. We love songs. But what does Ezekiel says? A thousand furlongs. Two thousand furlongs into the water. By the time he comes beyond that, he's not able to move. The water has come up to his chin. What does it mean? When you go deeper into God, he takes more and more and more control of your life. There is hardly anything left of you. Have you moved into deeper waters in all these years of our life? Deeper and deeper where we can look back and say, yes, Lord, I have very little control over my life. It's you who's controlling a body you have prepared for me. That's where Romans 12 says, offer your 
bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but by the renewing of your mind, you will know what is the good, the pleasing, the perfect will of God. A constant consecration of the body of Christ. Body, our body, consecration. Here I am, O Lord, today to do your will. You tell me, I'm here, I'm willing to do. And it doesn't matter what price I have to pay. That sacrifice that comes with obedience, God says, I love it. I love it. But when there is sacrifice without obedience, God says, I don't want it. When there is offering without obedience, God says, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. And that's what God is looking at. This should be a challenge to all of us. Those, especially those of us who are older in the Lord. Should be a challenge. Check your faith. Examine your faith in the light of your obedience. How obedient are you? How obedient are you? That's what headship means. The head, though he was equal to the father, Jesus accepted his father as his head. Scripture says in Ephesians, the head of Christ is God. So whatever God told him, he did I've accepted you as my head. The head of man is Christ. All men here, do you search the scriptures to obey God? Scripture says the head of woman is man, has women sitting over. Do you obey the word of God that comes through the mouth of your man? And scripture tells the children, obey your parents. Obey, obey. That's not enough. Scripture says in Hebrews 10, Behold, to do your will I have come. But the portion is taken from Psalm 40 and verse 8 where Scripture says, I delight to do your will, O God. It's not doing the will of God with gritted teeth. Anyway, I have no choice. I will just do your will. God says, no. Jesus said, I delight to do your will. That's where Scripture says when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he sang a hymn and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where scripture records when the apostles were whipped for standing up for Christ. They were exceedingly glad to have suffered and be persecuted for Christ Jesus. That is why scripture says because of their obedience to Christ, they were whipped and thrown into prison. Paul and Silas were singing. They delighted to do the will of God. As a man, do you delight to do the will of God? As a woman, do you delight to do the will of your husband? As children, do you delight to do the will of your parents? Do you delight? Not just do, delight. That's what Jesus said. I delight to do the will of my Father. So if you believe you're obedient, praise God. Now look, do you delight to obey God? Do you delight? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. What did you do, son? 30 years worked in as a carpenter. I delighted to do the will of God. I could have done anything, but that's what you asked me to do. I delighted to do. And at the age of 30, the voice of the Lord came to his son, Jesus said, Arise, go get baptized. He is in Nazareth. John is in Galilee, 70 miles. He walks 70 miles on feet just to get baptized. One man who doesn't need baptism. Because he delighted to do the will of the Father. To be delight. Be delight. One day the five ministry is increasing, crowds are coming to get baptized. The father says, Get up, leave the crowds, go to the Samaria, go walk through the sun, and I will send you one woman who has no reputation. Speak to her and bring her into the kingdom. And the son got up and walked into the wilderness because he delighted to do the will of the father. To be delighted to do the will of the father. 
where there is no fame for us, no glory for us, our names are not even mentioned, do we delight to do the will of the Father? Ask God this. Ask ourselves. I don't know. I only know about myself. Ask God to examine our hearts. Because scripture says in that verse, if Christ Jesus is not the answer of your faith, then we are reprobates, meaning we are destined for perdition because our faith will not stand the judgment of God. Judgment of God. Everybody in Noah's time built something, but only one vessel, one vessel withstood the judgment of God because it was a vessel built in obedience to the instructions of God. The next judgment is not by water, it is by fire. It is by fire. And if my faith, which is more precious than gold, has not been tested by the fiery trials, how will I know my faith is real? That if I die in a twinkling of an eye, I reach the other side to rich welcome. How do I know if my faith, your faith, is not tested and found real? It's found real. Our faith has to be tested. When it is tested, it has to be found genuine by Christ. By Christ. And the answer is, it is Christ in me, not you, not me. It is Christ. How much has Christ increased? Amen. I will just pray because I need go ten minutes to close. Shall we pray? Father, we just come to you. You said examine yourself. We are not examining anybody else, O Lord. In the light of the word that we have heard, we are just help us to examine ourselves. Even we ourselves do not know the truth about ourselves. Help us to allow your spirit to examine our heart, examine our minds, examine our thoughts, examine our feelings, examine our words, examine our works. Because you have said all this will be judged before you one day. Show us, O Lord, so that we can repent and forsake the works of disobedience and walk in even more obedience, O Lord, so that, O Father, we can please you by our faith. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.